Okay, well, good afternoon. Good to see everybody here. And I uh, want to make mention, because some of you weren't here for Sunday school, but uh, I preached a message the last couple Christmases on the Tower of the Flock. And um, I put it in a book format or at a place down in Florida where I used to pastor. They asked if they could put it in book form uh, and hand out. And so uh, I've got those up here. I've got several copies. If we run out, I've got some more. But if you'd like one of those, uh, you're welcome to take them. Uh, they're up here in the front. And uh, they're an easy read. I think they're only about 40 pages or so, 50 pages, something like that. Uh, but it's easy to read and, and pretty concise. But anyway, if you'd like to use one of those, they're up here. And uh, I know Brother Mark uh, has given them out now to a couple folks that weren't saved. And it's been a real blessing and a good witnessing tool uh, to use. So um, if you'd like to take a copy or two or take however many you can use, and you're welcome to them. All right? Uh, page 264. 264 in the garden. And we'll just have one song and opening prayer and get into our lesson for this afternoon. All right? Number 260, part, partly because I'm tired from VBS. These kids about wore me out, and partly because it is so hot outside, and partly because y'all just ate a big meal, and already Brother Richard told me if he fell asleep, he'd just watch it online, so <laughs> so we, we won't keep you long this afternoon, all right? Number 264 in the garden, we'll sing all three verses. I come to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, and He walks with me, and He talks with me. And he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and the melody that he gave to me. Within my heart is ringing, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, tells me I am His own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I'd stay in the garden with Him, though the night around me be falling. But He bids me go through a voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. And He walks with me and He talks with me. And He tells me I am His own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again, we come to You this afternoon, 
And Lord, already today has been a good day. We thank you for the time of fellowship, the time around your word, your Holy Spirit moving in our hearts. We thank you for the wonderful food that we were able to enjoy this afternoon. And Lord, we ask that you would bless in the the service to come. And Lord, that you would stir our hearts and help us to learn some things from your word that will be a help to us. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in the way that he would see fit and that your word would be able to be not returning void, but would do its effective work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you will, let's take our Bibles. Turn to Titus, the book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter number 2. We try to make our afternoon uh, service time uh, something of a practical nature, something that you can... uh, Put into practice in your life, just kind of give a list of things many times or a punch list of things that will be a help to you. <clears throat> and um, I don't know that I have a, a real defined list other than we're going to look at this passage and see some of the things that it does say about um, training up and, and what we're to be teaching uh, our young people, who are to be teaching our young people, and uh, how we're to go about doing that, all right? So uh, the first chapter in Titus, Paul deals with uh, Titus, and he gives qualifications for a pastor and a deacon. He talks about false witnesses and false teachers and to beware of them. And in chapter number 2, Paul begins to teach Titus what he is supposed to be teaching people in the church. And so from chapter 2, as we read down through here, think of it in terms of Paul instructing a pastor what to be teaching his people. All right, and that's what we're. That's the kind of the the um, context that we find ourselves in in Titus chapter number two. That's kind of the scenario that we find ourselves in. So he starts off. He says, "But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine." And by the way, we need to have a revival of people who hunger and thirst for doctrine. Uh, doctrine are those foundational truths and principles of Scripture that we base all of our our um, uh, practice on, as far as what we believe, what we hold to. And they deal with the, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the deity of, of Christ, uh, the fact that he lived a perfect and sinless life and gave himself as an atonement for our sins. Uh, the, the foundational truths of our faith would be the doctrine of God's Word. And uh, these are things that are very clearly seen uh, in Scripture, and uh, they need to be taught and revived again. Uh, I uh, went through a series here a number of uh, about two years ago on why I am a Baptist, <laughs> and it's amazing to me when I talk to folks sometimes, and I'll ask them, I'll say, "Why are you a Baptist?" And most of them can't tell me why. They don't know why they're a Baptist. Uh, many of them will say, "Well, I was raised Baptist, or my mom and dad were Baptist, or uh, I like that church, I like their programs, I like the pastor." There ought to be a scriptural and a biblical reason why we hold to what we hold to. Uh, And so uh, sound doctrine is a big thing. Uh, Something that when we come to our church, my, my heart and my goal as a pastor is to not tell you what my opinion about something is. Uh, if I do, and there's been a few times I've given my opinion, I always make sure I let you know this is my opinion on the matter. Uh, but when it comes to teaching truths of God's Word, I want us to be able to see it in Scripture. When we come to the Bible, we look at it, we put our eyes on it, and that's what it says. That's what it teaches us. And, and this is important for us to have sound doctrine. We make a big issue about what version of Scripture we use. 
because we believe that the King James Scripture, the old King James, not the new King James, but the old King James Scripture were divinely preserved and from the, uh, uh, the things that God had inspired and had written, they were divinely translated, and that the translators had even providential help in uh, not only doing the translation work, but the preservation, word for word. What God expected us to have in the English language for us is found in the King James Version of Scripture. We hold to that very strongly because we believe that our doctrine comes from our Bible. In order for us to have purity of doctrine, we must have a pure word. If our, pure, if our word is not pure, then we have no guarantee that our doctrine is pure. And so very, very important, Paul emphasizes this right at the onset. He tells Titus, he says, make sure that doctrine is a big thing. That we not just teach it erroneously, and he, he gave a warning in the verses ahead of false teachers, but he said, make sure that you're teaching sound doctrine. If it's found in Scripture, teach it. If it's not found in Scripture, stay away from it. And uh, those are the things that he's encouraging Titus in. Now notice he says, secondly, in verse number 2, that the aged men, all right? Now, th this is something that can be open to discussion to some degree, uh, in that is he dealing here with physical age or is he dealing with spiritual maturity? And the answer to that is yes. <laughs> he's, he's dealing with both, okay? Uh, he, you don't want a novice. You don't want some youngster out here trying to teach young men what to do. You need men that are seasoned, in scriptures, and we're going to see this as we go down through here, that not only is he speaking of the physical age of the man, but he is also dealing with the maturity level of those aged men. So notice what he says in verse 2, that the aged men, so these would be the men of our church that are uh, older than some other folks in our church, that they be sober, grave, temperate, and of course we understand temperance is being a well-balanced life, not any extreme in any one uh, way or the other. Of course, gravity and soberness, dealing with sensibility and, and just having a sharp head on their shoulders and common sense and having a sober, not, not a joker all the time. Uh, I enjoy humor just as much as anybody else. I love cutting up. But there's a time and a place. Uh, I, don't, I don't tell a lot. If you notice, I don't tell a lot of jokes from the pulpit. Now, when I was younger, I used to because I thought that was a way to help keep everybody engaged in listening well, but when it comes to preaching God's Word, there's not a lot of humor that needs to be dealt with there. There's a lot of Bible that needs to be dealt with there. And it should be sufficient. If, we're not, if we need humor to help hold people's attention, then we're really not preaching God's Word the way it ought to be preached. Because God's Word ought to feed us. We ought to be hungry for it. And that ought to be the thing that we desire. We come to church, we ought to come excited. Well, what's pastor going to preach on today? What's the Bible going to show me today? And, uh, and, and you don't need a lot of humor to dress that up and to keep people excited. You know, we're, we're in an entertainment-crazed society. And churches have gone off the deep end trying to entertain the, the congregations. It's so much so that uh, of one of the pastors that was well-known at the beginning of the whole seeker-friendly church movement, one of the big, he has a large, large church, a friend of mine was in a conference and heard him say, uh, just in the last probably seven years or so, heard him say this statement. He said, we have learned to gain a crowd, but we have lost our congregations. And that's a lot of truth in that. And so, uh, you know, there's not a lot of humor there. These men, I think we ought, to, we ought to have a sense of humor. We ought to get along well. We jest and we cut up sometimes. But there ought to be seasons where we talk about the things of the Lord. 
And they ought to be serious moments. There ought to be times where we enjoy it. Sometimes we just sit around and we start with fellowship. And before we know it, the, the, this, the conversation turns to things of Scripture. And I've sat here sometimes after church for hours. I mean literally hours. There are times that on Wednesday night we get out of here at 8 o'clock. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. There's times I've not gone home till after 11 o'clock at night on a Wednesday night because a couple people stayed and we were fellowshipping and we, we got talking about Scripture. And it became sweet and we just kept talking about it and enjoying that. There was a soberness there. There was a gravity there. We enjoyed and we thrilled and feasted on the things of the Lord. And so we should not always be in jest all the time. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I came out of college thinking, well, if I have the exciting activities and I have this and that, I found out very shortly into youth work that young people, while we, we don't mind having activities with them, young people don't grow by activities spiritually. Uh, they don't, they're, they're not becoming more of what they ought to be for Christ by the program that you put out or the activities that you have. And I'm not anti-activities. I'm just saying that's not that I was depending on that to do a work in the hearts of the young people, and that wasn't where it was at. Only God's Word does a transforming work. And uh, even in our churches, you know, people say, well, boy, why don't you have more speakers in? Why don't you have more singers in? Boy, it'll keep the attention of the crowd. Why don't you use this kind of music, and it'll just draw people in? Can I tell you this? People don't need to be drawn in by worldly things and by entertainment. They need to have the Word of God preached to them so it can do a transforming work in their lives. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for getting as many people to under the sound of the gospel as possible, but we're going to do it the right way. We're not going to do it by, by throwing out here some kind of big entertainment thing and bringing the world into the church house in order to reach them. We're going to hold up the Word of God and let it draw men to Him. And so very important that these men, these aged men, notice what it says, are sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith. These are not wishy-washy men. These are not men that are uh, on fire for the Lord one day and living like the world the next day. We're talking about well-tempered, well-balanced, mature Christian men. Sound in faith, sound in faith uh, and charity, and in patience. And these are things that ought be found in the aged men of the church. You say, Brother Greg, why is that important? We're going to look at it here in just a minute. Before we get into why that's important, he goes on to talk about the aged women. All right. Now, I'm not going to discern who the aged women are in our church, okay? I learned something long ago. You don't ask a woman how old she is. As a pilot, a few times I've had to take ladies, uh, they wanted to go flying. Unfortunately, I have to know their weight when they fly because we fly a small airplane. And so the weight does become an issue. <laughs> but normally I don't ask weight either. But age and weight, we just don't ask women that, that question. Uh, so I'm going to let you to be the discerners of the aged women, all right? And we get to verse number 3. He says, The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. The thing that would cause people to look at holiness and say that is the epitome of holiness. The lifestyle that that lady is leading is a, a fine example of holiness. That's what it speaks of here. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach. Now notice this. That they may teach the young women. This is something I believe we've neglected. That the aged women are to teach the young women. And you say, Brother Greg, why is it important to understand about the aged men? Because we're going to see here in a minute that the aged men 
are to treat, teach and train the young men. Let's see, let's see what the Bible says here. And I, I, I'm glad the Bible instructs us in righteousness. I don't have to come up here and try to figure out, okay, how do I live the Christian life or how do I tell you to live the Christian life? God gives us a lot of this, doesn't he? And it's right there in Scripture. It's so easy to find. So he says that they may teach the young women. So this is the, the older women, the aged women. That they may teach the young women to be sober, have that, that sensibility about them, to be sober-minded, to love their husbands, to love their children. Basically, we can say this is a Christian womanhood lesson. The aged women are to teach and to train the young ladies how they're supposed to be as they become aged women in the faith. To be discreet, verse number 5. That, that word's a very interesting word. To be discreet, be careful of things, uh, be chaste. This deals with purity. Keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So these are the things that the aged women are supposed to be teaching the younger women in the church. First of all, they're to be examples of it. And secondly, they're to teach them that. Now, lest the men get off the hook, <laughs> all right, the aged men, we've already dealt with how they're supposed to be. Notice what it says here. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. Us men are supposed to take an interest in the younger men coming after us. Um, how many of you men just absolutely love Working with children. It's just God has given you that great gift of working with children. How many of you, it takes some patience to do it? All right, be honest. All right, there we go. Isn't it interesting that God puts that on the aged men? That we're to take these young men that are coming up behind us, the generation to come. Last week we preached on that. The generation that forgot God. The generation that's coming after us. It is our responsibility as the aged men of the church. Some people say, well, pastor, uh, why don't you teach these young men certain things? I, don't, I, I can certainly preach it from the pulpit, but the truth is the aged men of the church are to do this. This is something. Same with the ladies. I can teach young ladies things from Scripture about these things. But Paul says you teach the church to teach the younger generation. That's, that's what you're supposed to do as a pastor. You instill in the older men and the older women the, not only the maturity that they're supposed to have, but the fact that they're supposed to take that and teach and train the next generation coming after them. Very important that we do this. By the way, it starts at home. It starts at home. It's amazing to me. I was a youth pastor for 12 years. It's amazing to me how many times parents would wait until their kids got to be a teenager and throw them on the youth pastor and say, okay, youth pastor, in six years when they graduate high school, I expect you to hand back to me a godly teenager. Now, they never said it that way, but that's what they were expecting. Can I tell you this? The youth pastor was never supposed to rear your children. He just wasn't. <laughs> we do that to supplement and to be a help to the parents in parenting. And uh, I had parents sometimes that would come to me and say, uh, Brother Greg, uh, my kids not going to be, my teenagers not going to be able to go to your youth activity this week because we already had a family event planned, and they would be apologetic about. It. They'd say, "I'm so sorry," and I'd be like, "What are you apologizing for? That's what's supposed to happen. 
The only, time, the only reason we have youth activities and the only reason we have a teen Sunday school and the only reason we have a teen center on Friday nights to keep kids out of the malls and out of the movie theaters is because they don't have something else going on at home. I would far rather see a young person go with their family and do something together as a family, and I believe that's God's way. We're there to supplement. We are not there to be the main thing. And by the way, it starts at home, but it extends then into the church. Because we as aged men together are to help and edify, just like we would any other brother or sister in Christ. It does, it does very little good for a godly dad to teach a god, uh, their son a godly way of living, only to bring him to church and see a bunch of men who are not living godly. It does very little good for a mom, a godly mom, to teach a young lady godly things in Christian womanhood, only to bring them to church and see a bunch of ungodly ladies. It is the responsibility of the aged men, and it is the responsibility of the aged women, to teach and to train these things. We get to verse number uh, 7. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, Showing uncorruptness, gravity, insincerity. Men, these are things we're supposed to be teaching young men. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. I want to exhort us, I want to encourage us this afternoon as a church, that we, we begin focusing, I was telling some of the young people just a few moments ago, we were, I was sitting back here, and they were all grounded around me. I was sitting in that chair. I said, if we get any more young people here, we're going to have to start a youth program. We're going to have to have a, a youth program for, for young people, start doing some things. But can I tell you this? As a church, we need to understand and be responsible for, first of all, having that in our lives. The aged men, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to mature in Christ to grow in Christ, to be sound in faith, to be temperate, to have soberness and gravity when it comes to the things of the Lord. Not just to be a, a, a funny, joke-around-all-the-time kind of person. I, I have a good time at Vacation Bible School. I put on that funny beard that I showed you all last Sunday, and I was uh, timber saw jack. I mean, I came in, the kids loved it, had a good time. But when it comes time for Sunday morning and it's time for preaching, I'm not timber saw jack. I'm, a, I'm an elder man of the church that's trying to influence the lives of young men in our church. And so are you. Ladies, the same thing holds true with you. We need to be training young ladies how to be Christian young ladies. In purity, how to keep a home, how to be a good wife. They need to be taught how to dress right, how to look right. How to treat one another. To be careful of the things that they say. These are all to be taught by aged women who have already matured in those areas. Uh, every once in a while, uh, the other day, I'll give you just a personal illustration. The other day, I had just done some laundry, and we brought uh, four or five laundry baskets into my bedroom and just dumped them on the bed, and I hadn't had time to fold them yet. And I think it was like three or, uh, three or four baskets. So I had a pretty good pile of laundry there. We had been working all week and just hadn't had time to get to it. 
and I had it all piled on my bed. When I went to bed that night, I still didn't have time to do it, so I took all of them and slid them onto the floor. <laughs> then they had to be washed. No, they didn't have to be washed again, but slid them onto the floor. The next morning, I get up and I walk into Jonathan's room to wake him up, and it's a pigsty. And I said, Jonathan, this room looks atrocious. You need to get up here, get this room cleaned up. And I mean, I'm just raring into him. And I turn around and I walk back into my room. <laughs> and I turn around and he's sitting there grinning from ear to ear. I said, do as I say, not as I do. And I was, yeah. But we all do that to some degree, don't we? We expect things from others that we ourselves don't even do. And I use a silly illustration to, to don't miss the, the point because of the, the, the silliness of the illustration. If we're going to teach and train the next generation, then we've got to be that. We've got to know sound doctrine. We've got to have gravity when it comes to the things of the Lord. We've got to have sincerity and soberness. There's got to be a maturity there. There's got to be a temperance there. So that when we go to teach these young people... They have an example that they can look at and say, that's what they mean by that. It does us no good to teach people how to talk and how to walk, how to conduct themselves, how to dress, if we do not ourselves do it. Very important that we understand this, that even though it begins at home, and even though it is mom and dad's responsibility ultimately, we as a church do not want to be a harm or a hindrance or a stumbling block to these young people. And Paul told Titus, he said, listen, I want you to have sound doctrine. But after that, I want you to teach your men that they are to train up. Not only are they to have these things in their life, but they are to train up the young men behind them. And then I want you to teach the women also, the aged women. Not only are they themselves to be this way. But they are the ones that are to help train these young ladies that are coming up behind them in what we would call Christian womanhood. Uh, Proverbs 31 gives a great illustration of it, doesn't it? We call it the virtuous woman chapter. There are things that are given to men throughout the scriptures of how we're to be. And those are things that need to be passed on to our next generation. And I'm going to leave you with this thought. If we do not do it, the world will. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. They are now starting at younger and younger ages in the schools. I was telling Jonathan the other day, I can't, I can't believe all this, pub, this, this summer school that they do anymore. I don't like it personally. I, this is my pers- I'm going to give you my opinion. This is in First Gregalonians, all right? I don't like summer school that they're doing now. used to be, when I was a kid... You went to summer school because you struggled in school and you needed some extra help. Now, it's two things. It's another babysitter for mom and dad. But it's additional time to indoctrinate the young people. And there is no doubt that even though there are good Christian people that I know teach in public school, my brother-in-law is one of them. He tries to reach kids in the public school system. He's a great teacher. And he works and labors in the public school. But there's no doubt about it. There is a philosophy that is embedded in the education system of our country that is there for no other purpose than indoctrinization of our young people. And the more that we do this and the more that we give them access, 
the more they're going to continue to indoctrinate them. That is why it is so vitally important that we as a church invest in our young people, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. Some of our older gentlemen in this church, from time to time, ought to call up one of our young men and say, hey, you want want to go... uh, out to the fishing hole with me. Or, hey, do you want to, uh, I'm going to go down here and get a bite to eat. You all want to go with me and get a couple fellas to go and spend time with them. Dads and moms that have time with their children training and teaching them. Oh, that it is so important we do this. Because the world has them so much more time than you and I do. And if all we do is depend on a Sunday school class once a week or a junior church once a week, to turn out godly young people, unless God does the work supernaturally, it's not going to happen. They need some influence from moms and dads and from the aged men and from the aged women. And I want to encourage us, and I've, I've actually talked with a few people already in this next year. I'm going to ask for us to have some meetings where we have our elder ladies Invite the young ladies and have a Saturday luncheon with them or an activity with them where they spend the time teaching and training them about Christian womanhood. And we're going to have some of the men do this as well and want to encourage us in this. The first thing that has to be done is you and I as aged men and aged women need to make sure that these are areas that we're working on in our lives first. So that when we go to teach and to train these young people, we will be able to have a good example in front of them. And I want to help and encourage you in this, all right? This is what Paul told Titus. He said, after sound doctrine, teach your people this. It is vitally, vitally important. So I hope that will be a help to us, all right? Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for its instruction to us how it teaches us, how it guides us. And Lord, as we look to the near future in our church, that you would allow us to be able to do some things that will help uh, encourage our young people, that will challenge them to grow, to be the kind of men and the kind of uh, young ladies that you would want them to be. And so, Father, help us in the time ahead as we look forward to these things to grow personally in these areas. That we take Titus chapter 2, we begin to study it, and we begin to work on these areas in our own lives so that we then can take and teach and train the generation after us in the same things. And so, Father, help us today, and I pray that you would help us to leave here with the messages that we've had, the time this afternoon of training and teaching on a very, very important subject, and especially right on the heels of Vacation Bible School, how much we realize that just a few hours a a week is not going to do the work. We need much more time and exampleship in front of these young people. And so, Father, may we invest in them, may we encourage them along the way, and teach and train them in these truths. Dismiss us now with your blessings and with the messages upon our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.